while that's why they're wild they don't even wait <laughs> subhanallah we're alive these dogs don't even wait subhanallah that's why they're called wild dogs makes sense today we have a really interesting program for everybody and i'm thinking you know what if there are a lot of viewers that come on and view this in recording right probably over time more than live right so why do we wait for the live, guys? <laughs> Shouldn't we just start straight away and cater to the more... Who, there's more people going to click as a video right. than live. Yeah. So why don't we get straight going, right? All right. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society. Nothing but facts live stream where we have some... Really neat stuff for everybody today. And of course, today is the day of tafsir. We have Nimra's here, Aslam is here, Yunus Awan on his second week detoxed from Salafi talk radio and Salafi videos, confusing himself. Do not confuse thine self by listening to two men hedges, right? And I'll tell you exactly why in the graphics that I'm going to put up right now. I'm going to put up Rai's going to put up some graphics on a split screen. You have to memorize this and know this really well because this is going to make your life so easy if you get this. And when you hear something that's fishy to you, most likely is because they're using uh, this, the, the, the second slide that we're going to show. So we'll give Ryan a second to, to line it up, Okay. But what I'm going to show you is two slides. All right? And there we go. He's got the first one already. You see this slide? It says the correct way of thinking. Okay. The correct way of thinking is, number one, decide upon your methodology. So if we're going to do something, obvious question is, how are we going to do it? Right? right. If we're going to interpret, in this case, the will of Allah. That's what we're talking about. You must separate between the will of Allah and your personal will. Okay? They're two different things. So we need to know the will of Allah. We need to understand the Quran. We need to understand the Hadith. We need to understand fiqh, aqidah. The first thing you do is develop your methodology. Okay? I'm sitting here with the guest who I'm going to introduce after this. And that's that little blue factory there. That's our methodology. Then... After we've, we've determined our methodology, you then plug in all the information. We accept all the information. Everything. Bring it all the information in. And feed it to the methodology. Right. The methodology will say, this one no, this one yes. This one no, this one yes. And then all the yeses. Okay. Romesa Menina, come to YouTube. Go to Safina's side of YouTube channel so you can see what I'm doing here. Okay. So... You feed all the information. You never say no to a piece of information. Even if you say no, we categorize that no. Right. Like we, we, we document fabricated hadiths. We document lies. But we never cut off a piece of information. We accept it all. Just because we accept it all does not mean it's all sound. Right. But we don't close our ears when we're trying to assess the divine will. Allah's will for us. What does Allah want for us? If you're in a court case, you do the same thing. The judge, the lawyers, there's methodologies. And they're, the first thing is called discovery. What are the facts? Mm -hmm. 
You can't say, no, I don't like this bloody glove. I want that bloody glove. All the bloody gloves, right? So that's called discovery. All the information we accepted. Anytime somebody is like, no, I don't want that fact. Hiding that fact. Right. Don't read that, right? That's a problem. Right. So we accept all the information. Salam, my man. Take a seat. We met before. You're uh, Fahd? Fah you, your name again? Talha. Talha. Oh, you changed your name. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Talha. Okay. Yes, I said Fahd. Yeah. But I got, if you think the T and the F are the same, <laughs> I got the H right. Right? <laughs> okay. So very close. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you got to accept all the information. Our factory is set. This is like a mathematical function. Fx equals blank. F is the function. X is the data. Right. Now, once we have got all the data and we've determined what our methodology is, at that point, once you feed it in, you just sit back and wait. You let the dots fall where they fall, and that's the result. That's that little red section. Whatever the result is, we accept it. Okay? That's the right way of thinking about things. Now, there's a wrong way of thinking this is the wrong way of thinking. Now look at what it has here. They predetermine the result. This is the result we want. Then we bring in the information. You have to favor the information that favors your result. Okay. If the, then this is, the, this is the wrong way of thinking of an honest person. Because an honest person can't siphon out information. He's got to accept it all. Instagrammers, head over to YouTube if you want to see this whole thing. Safina Saidi's YouTube channel. Then what they do is they then cook up and pick and choose the methodology that suits that result, that predetermined result. And this is why we always talk about those who pick and choose from madhabs, and they say, well, aren't we picking and choosing from truth to truth? Like Hanafi method is true, valid, Shafi is valid, so what's wrong with that? We said your entire methodology does not produce piety. Yeah. It produced whimsicalness. Because you've already predetermined the result. Liars, yeah. There's no discipline. There's no discipline. You will end up with confusion because you don't have a methodology. You have 50 methodologies. Right? And you won't have any discipline. And you're going to have a complete sense of whimsicalness. Because you've already predetermined your result. Right. And why are you, for what are you predetermining your result? Nobody predetermines the result. Like, nobody wants the ruling that's against them. Yeah. You're, you're picking a ruling that's for you. You're picking a ruling that p produces as least tension, okay? At least, as least tension as possible between you and society. So your, all, all your rulings will consistently be in agreement with ego and society. That may not be what Allah wants for you, Right? So this is this two methodologies is so important for people to understand where they're going. And when we read about Ibn al-Jawzi last week, what did Ibn al-Jawzi say about himself? He said that Sarah saying, by methodology, do we madhab? Yes. The, meth the usul al-fiqh. Okay. And in, in fact, this applies to many other things. A court case to know who's innocent, who's guilty. Hiring. What's the methodology of hiring? Science. Science is all this, right? Yeah. Yeah, they have their own preconceived notions. Take the mic. 
They yeah. already have the conclusion. Yeah, they have their conclusion. So All they, the way up to your mouth. They got their conclusion already, so they pick and choose the the facts. They the want. doctors, yep. the physicians, the psychologists to understand that there's business in this. So yeah. they'll, they'll agree. And then, did you see that one video? Like, that one, I've, I think he's a troll, but he asked these physicians, like, what is a woman? Yeah. And they could not. He's like a professional troll. No, so yeah. Like Matt Walsh. No, yeah. They could not answer. They couldn't answer it. it. It's like, well, a woman is it? Well, what's between your legs? That's yeah. the most important. Yeah. That's, thing. A, that's the only thing. That right? is the only thing. Final love. There, there could be. <laughs> that's a, those. That that's a perfect example of when you have society going to an area where we've already determined the result. Then the facts and the methodology must be subservient to what we want. That's the problem, right? You can never interact with such a society or such a people. So, and within the Islamic framework. Some of my friends in the community, they're like, we, what's wrong with have? why would I have one method? Why can't I just have many? It's because you're favoring your whims, yeah. right? You're, you're predetermining the result. And what Ibn Josie said is that when he was a Hanbali student, he was a clean slate. He was a man with no responsibility, a youth with no responsibility, nothing. Whatever the deen was, he did it, right? He practiced it. And he said, I had such a sakina between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Worship Allah quietly every evening. He said, I'd love to stay up. Read the books of the pious and imitate them by praying to Hajjud, doing ibadah in the evening. He said, then I became a preacher and immediately skyrocketed to success. And everyone wants his services. We want you to come give us a fatwa for this. Come give us a lecture here. All the rich and famous want him. Because he was like a well-endowed man, right? He said, then at that point, he made a switch. He flipped. He flipped to seeing what they're doing and then finding justifications for it. So he flipped the result. Instead of the result being at the bottom, put the result at the, at the top. And then use his brain to pick and cherry pick the, the hadith and the narrations that suit him and the methodology and cook up a justification for their doubtful behavior. Like they're doing doubtful matters, right? And maybe even sinful matters. But he found a way to cook it up as an excuse. And that's what the corrupt muftis do in all countries. Yeah. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those selling their deen for their dunya. Because they're going about this. So for those who are watching this, you could rewind for that later and understand that the right way, if you want to sleep soundly, if you want to develop discipline, if you want to be pious, if you want things to be predictable, if you want to be able to pass this on to the next generation, right, then you go with the first method, which is essentially the methodology first. Then plug in all the information. And guess what? All the information is already out there. We don't have to search for hadiths, right? By the, by the, last, by the year 1000, Imam Asiyuti, way even before that, all the hadith and the verses and their understanding and the meaning of Arabic words is all done with, right? They, all, they know all that stuff. We only have the new issues that we have to deal with. So that's the concept and idea that you can pass this on because if we predetermine the result, then my generation will care about a different result than my kid's generation. So I'll spend my entire lifetime trying to justify one set of results. My kids will try to justify another set of results. Okay? All right. Thank you all very much. Uh, for bearing with that uh, if you're on Instagram but go to the Safina Society uh, YouTube channel to be able to see the split screens 
All right, like, question. How would like ruchas and or like, I mean, how many like ruchas would you take? Okay, good point. You mentioned something important. So, right, go back. You're on correct way of thinking. Now, you see that factory? Okay. Yeah, that one. Yeah. See that factory there? That factory has three layers. Okay. The first is your default layer. That's your methodology. But when the result produces, let's say, code orange, which means haja, which means it produces a result that I can't live with. Like I literally can't. It's not going to kill me, but I can't live with it. Right? I can't. It physically, my life will not be the same. Like excessive hardship? Excessive hardship. Excessive. There is something called mashakka, a little bit of hardship. We tolerate that. I'll tell you what's mashakka in the Madiki method. The leather that we pray with has to be the biha. It's a little bit, it's not, it's not, sorry, it's not an excessive hardship. It's a minor hardship. That means I got to take my shoes off if they're leather. And sometimes I pray on the, on the street. Tough luck. That's not, your life is not going to change by that. It's a, it's like a little minor thing. If I want to wear a belt, I got to make sure it's the biha. Got to make sure it's imported from Turkey or Morocco. Then I could believe if it's Muslim, that's enough for me. Okay. Right? I don't have to go and say, uh, you're Turkish. Okay, did you slaughter it properly? Khalas, he's Muslim, right? That's enough. Mor Moroccan, 90% going to be Muslim. Acceptable, right? So that's, a hard, that's like a minor hardship. I'm not changing methods for that. But if I get a ruling that makes life extremely like, it's not normal. This is not normal. Then we have a second layer of methodology. Every madhab has this, by the way. I don't have to go to another madhab. Every method already has. Okay, if, if the result of the method produces something you can't live with, impossible to live by, then we go to this methodology. And then there's code red. Code red is life and death, right? And code red is the most vast methodology. But every method already has this. So I don't have to go around different method. If I already know my method, there are muftis in every method that have outlined this. So whenever you hear a fatwa, you really got to be careful to think, is he following a methodology to its logical conclusions or does he already have a predetermined conclusion and he's cooking now, right? Give me some Japanese food, give me some fusion, give me some Mexican food, right? And that's almost like running a business where we're not driven, we're not, some businesses, they're not driven by like anything they want to offer, they're driven by whatever you'd buy. Right, it's fatwa shopping. Yeah, so some businesses are, if you buy ladies' underwear today, we'll sell you ladies' underwear. If you're, so whatever, I, I, I'm nothing. I'm amphibious. That's what some businesses are like. That's why I despise, like I loathe the business that asks the customers, what do you want? Like, what the heck? No backbone. Where, where's your spirit? Like, what are you offering the world? If you have something, then you convince me to buy it. That's the, that's the business I like. The business, I like the salesman that says, listen, you actually don't know what you want. I know what you want, right? You are going to love this product, right? You're going to love this. If you don't love it, I'll make you love it by showing it to you. I'm like, okay, I, I, you got me because you're confident and you know what you're doing. If you looked at Apple way back in the day when it started out and Steve Jobs was running it, that's the method that they did things. Never did a survey. Uh, Henry Ford, he said... If I ask the people what they want, they'd say a faster horse, right? I'm going to tell you guys what I got here, and you guys will want it, and you'll desire it. And that's what Steve Jobs did with all his products. 
He never went to ask people what you what do you want. Now these guys, right? So these these businesses that say whatever you want and we start selling it, they're just they're they're. I have no respect for them. Mm-hmm. What I have respect for is this concept of you got an idea and a vision for things, and then wherever the result falls, we we follow it. Not only that, it feels better. Because whenever you contradict your nafs, your spirit rises. Yeah. If you feed your nafs, you dampen your spirit. Your spirituality dampens and is blocked. All right, so we're good. Uh, now, there is something that I have to say that you don't get confused with. All of what we're doing regards the divine will. We need to know what does Allah want for us and be honest and objective with that. When, when is it justified to do the opposite? When you have a goal, like your personal goal. So your personal goal, let's say, is to be 150 and to have a six-pack, right? Let's say that's my goal. I want to be 150 pounds, and I have no stomach, and I want to, I want to see a six-pack. So in personal goals, it's it's exact opposite. That's the goal, and it doesn't change. Then I'll change my methodology every day if I have to in order to get there. But actually, every day is not a good idea. I'm going to change my methodology if I work on it, right? And I fail, I got to find a new method. But I've set the goal, and I'm not. That's not moving. It's not moving that I'm going to reach my goal, my destination. That's where we put the goal first. And the methodology becomes subservient. Because that's my goal. My goal is different from Allah's goal. So if you confuse the two, you messed everything up. So what's when it comes to science, which is, it is, in a sense, Allah's will because you're studying the creation. Right? You're studying the creation. You can't go manipulating things. Studying the creation. Or studying the book of Allah. Or you're in a court case where it's the facts in front of you. That you have to put... The results last. Leave, don't touch the results. Right? Methodology, plug in the information, get the result. But for personal goals, it's the opposite. And I think once people get this in their mind, um, it's going to be a lot easier to assess why things are, why you're not comfortable with one way and more comfortable with another. Any other questions on this? Let's see if we have any questions on this. Um, so far, so... Just salams from everybody. Mm. Anything, right? No. Okay, so let's go now. Oh, wait, so, okay. Yeah. I, mean, I think you just answered this. Yeah, so Sharp Patel, what does Sharp Patel say? There, having goals. Yeah. No, of course, having, having your personal goal is different from mixing with the will of Allah. It's never my goal that the will of Allah should be X. No, that's not my business, right? Will of Allah, we mean the law. The Sharia. Let the Sharia be what it is. Mm. Let Allah's command come to us as it is. Right? Don't get involved. All right. So again, Caitlin Joham. No, this dua has nothing to do with this. We are talking about the Sharia, the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us. We're not talking about dua. No, dua is the opposite too, because that's my personal desire. So I put it there. But we're talking about the, and I put my dua there and I don't move. But what we were talking about is like the will of Allah, the Sharia. Don't meddle. When Allah, ta- if if you meddle with it, you can never, you can't trust yourself. You'll never know what Allah wants from you. 
right? Because you keep being involved. When I say what Allah wants from you, I mean the law, not your personal life. And dua. No, dua is just like my personal goal. I keep it there, it's fixed. And I try to get there by whatever lawful means is possible. Okay. Sophia, three alarm bells are ready. Let's go back because... Save it for later because it's, it's not with the topic or what? All right, so Rai, could you remind me then? Yeah. Okay, so Sophia... Um, all right, it's not with the topic, but we'll get there. Anyway, I saw it, Sophia, and no, I wouldn't read those books. Uh, all right, next segment of our program today. SubhanAllah, Radim. Look at this, how crazy this is. Let's play this video. California now covers more than 80 look, square miles. Look at these fires and how insane these fires are. It is part of a much bigger pattern. This is just one of more than 50 wildfires burning is in there the audio western in this, half of the U.S. This right now. Aerials of the McKinney fire show the inferno that has crews struggling to contain it and homeowners yeah. scrambling to escape it. The volatility of the firestorm, fueled by high winds, a heat wave, and the decades-long buildup of dry brush caught most off guard as it exploded to more than 50,000 acres in less than 48 hours. The blaze is threatening hundreds of structures in Northern California's Siskiyou County, already destroying several homes and a community hall. Some decided to stay despite evacuation orders. When this fire came, it traveled from the top of that ridge downhill in the space of maybe 15 minutes with trees exploding. I'd never seen anything like it. It was just the most amazing, terrifying thing you've ever seen. 500 households are under a mandatory evacuation, a number which will likely grow. Firefighters last week had said they anticipated to have the Oak Fire near Yosemite fully under control over the weekend, but the blaze is only roughly two-thirds contained. Right now, there are 54 large fires burning in 13 states, destroying more than one and a half million acres, which is larger than an area the size of the state of Delaware. In Idaho, a fire-breathing cloud known as a pyrocumulus formed over the Moose Fire, which is charring more than 75 square miles. And about 200 miles to the north, Montana's Elmo Fire tripled in size this weekend, forcing residents... SubhanAllah, how insane was that? How insane was that? Those fires. Like the the you, we we couldn't hear the broadcaster, but it doesn't matter. The images is all enough. It's absolutely insane. These fires, Subhanallah. Um, the size of Delaware. Delaware is a pretty big state, right? So all these fires combined have basically eliminated one out of the fifty states in terms of size. That's insane. Crazy. Um, I'm interested in the reporters that drive into these things and try to get it with their phone. Ajib. All right, let's now go to segment number three of our program. There's one thing I think is interesting about this stuff. Yeah, because the fires? We, because we look at this, and of course it is, this is the reality of it, is that it's terrible, and it, people are affected by it, their property, it's sad and everything. Yeah. But in terms of nature and like forestry and all these things a fire a wildfire is one of the best things that could happen it's extremely good for it right because it, the the soil that is from all the ash laid uh-huh. on top of it is very regenerative yeah. for, for nature and everything so it's like us being caught up in just the balance of nature that Allah has set on nature subhanallah but our perspective on it is very is very grim but in a way it's also a very beautiful thing 
it's it's yeah. almost uh, our perspective on it is because we're just using all the time, and the world, the earth, it, it needs to like reju- rejuvenate itself. To be fair, though, indigenous populations used to do controlled wildfires. They used to actually. They used to burn it like in a controlled fashion. Wow, yeah, they used to the do sa- it for the same purpose. Bring close. Yeah, they used to do controlled fires for the same purpose. Kajib. I mean, uh, like the soil must get so tired of supplying nutrients and become barren of nutrients, right? So then these ashes come down. These are good ashes, not bad ashes. Because there's bad ashes and there's good ashes, right? And something that's natural, those ashes are really good for the, for the soil, for everything. And um, it's just we happen to, to be in the middle of living there. Yeah. We're just living there. We expect... <coughs> We expect this earth to, to not need a break, right? And not need to rejuvenate itself. And if you look at, um, if you look at uh, farming, you can't farm on a plot all the time. This is like basic earth science that they taught us in seventh grade. You can't farm on a plot all the time. Every five years, you have to leave that plot and allow the sheep and the cows to eat and urinate and defecate on that plot for one and a half years or something then all that soil has new nutrients, right? From their defecation. SubhanAllah. Their defecation is nutri- nutritious for the soil. And then you, you could bury them there. Even their carcass becomes a nutrient for that soil. And then you could grow something else. And you have to grow a different animal there, right? Or a different plant Plants, there, right? right? If it's corn, you got to grow potatoes. Potatoes, you got to grow tomatoes, whatever it is. You have to change it up. Right, it's because the potatoes will use a certain nutrient all the time, so on and so forth. It's crazy stuff, but it just goes to show you how uh, all these evolutionists, when they're they're telling us that a thing is just trying to survive, right? It's always just trying to survive. That's how things develop, just trying to survive by itself. But how do they account for the perfect matching of everything? Like, how do they account that the the soil benefits from the defecation of the cow? Mm. Like, how did you, like? That took something independent of both cow and soil yeah, to bring yeah. together. It's too well orchestrated. It's well, way too or, well, perfectly orchestrated. This is what I was thinking about when Yusuf was reciting Surah Rahman yesterday. Yeah. Like about the balance and like interfering in the balance of things and how everything is yeah. ordained for a set right. position and everything. Like the, us taking our big gallons and tons, whatever, liquid tons of water and yeah. pouring it out. This is us interfering with what is Yeah, balanced. you should leave it. Yeah. You should just leave it. Same thing, believe it or not, with the fever. Like, when, when you get a fever, you're actually... There is a theory. You should let it go. You shouldn't disrupt a fever. Like, the fever is there for a reason. Like, your body's working to expel something. But if you just... You're basically telling the troops, no, don't fight, come home. Because it's exhausting for us. There is a philosophy out there that you should... Uh, in, in natural medicine, that you should never disrupt a fever. Unless it gets, like, to the point that you're going to die from it. But... The fever, you should allow it to go and maximum just put some cooling pads. But to take a medicine and artificially shut the fever down, yeah. in some cases, that's not good for you, right? So I'm not a doctor, but I'm just telling you that there is that idea out there. Just inoculate yourself. Yeah. In the microscope. Exactly. But in a more spiritual sense, I mean, I used to hear back home that uh, people say whenever like someone got sick, they tended to, it's a way of like expiation of their... No, now no one's getting expiated. Yeah. As soon as you get hurt, you got medicine. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> like no one's getting expiated anymore. I don't know. 
you guys are all in expiation for us. <laughs> uh, all right, now let's go to segment number three of our program today. Okay. Surah Al-Bayinah. It's Surah Makkiyah, where he thamani ayatin. It is eight ayahs, and in it it shows that the kafir category, the legal category of kafir, just so that no one gets triggered and thinks that we're basically hating on everybody. No, it's a legal category. Like as if we say citizen and non-citizen of a country. Are you hating on Mexicans? No, just not a citizen, right? So there is a mu'min and there is a kafir. Or I should say there is a Muslim and a kafir, legally speaking, outwardly, just judging from the outward. We're not judging your state with Allah because you haven't died yet. But the kafir is either one of two categories. Either they are Ahl kitab or they are pagans. Ahl kitab means they have the same framework as us. There's a creator. That creator has sent prophets with books. There are angels, demons, and there's an afterlife. And you're responsible for your behavior in this world. That's the basic framework of Ahl kitab and that's why we can live with them. We can interact with them. A lot easier and a lot more than with the pagan. The pagan has no framework like this. And they have a plethora of different beliefs. All right? None of which are supported by... Uh, uh, most of which are in contradiction to some observed reality. None of them are supported by a transmitted evidence the way the religious books are. Okay? So in that, in that sense, that's the most important takeaways from the first verse right there لم يكن الذين كفروا كفروا من أهل الكتاب والمشركين so what does this negate it negates all those who are of a very popular trend these days and it's, it comes from pagan relativism that all religions are equal even in within um, the Muslim world there is a movement and it's best popular in Egypt that Christians are believers because they believe in Allah and the last day. Where is this? In Egypt. It's a very popular idea. The Christian is not a kafir, right? You know, I've even seen some uh, people from Egypt I've come across say mention that they celebrate Christmas as is. Like, oh, 100%. Be, like, yeah, Maulid Sayyidina Isa. How foolish are you, right? So that they are basically why? Because the Quran, Surah Al Baqarah, Inna Ladina Amanu Billahi. Uh, Any time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they believed in Allah and the last day, that is an abbreviation, a shorthand of saying believing in Allah and His books, angels, messengers, and the last day. Because the Quran itself says, And it's in many areas, other verses too, listing these five things. In the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ added al-Qadr. Right? Whenever someone speaks, if this person is wise, rational, knowledgeable, if he says something, at that point, you, you have to understand that all of his speech will not contradict each other. So if I say to somebody, do what makes you happy. Let's say if someone comes to me and says, hey, I can do this, this. And I say, do what makes you happy. No, it's not ra- it's not reasonable for someone to think that's my philosophy on life. So if eating khanzir and committing zina and drinking makes you happy, do it. Because all my other speeches says, no, we have to live by sharia. 
right? So do what makes you happy in context of all the other things I said. Because it's not reasonable to think that a wise person or rational person, I'm not going to say I'm wise, but rational, I hope I'm rational, rational person will contradict himself. So the Qur'an doesn't contradict itself. So therefore, whenever Allah says something, like whoever believes in Allah in the last day, la clearly, it's in context and consistent with the other verses, which say, Right? And there are other verses about that and other hadith about that. So therefore, how do we interpret what Allah is saying, whoever believes in Allah in the last day, don't worry about him and he, he's good. Okay? Good to go. It means it's a summary. Belief in Allah and the last day being the first and the fifth thing, including the second, third, and fourth. It's a shorthand. Just as the Prophet said, whoever says, La ilaha illallah enters Jannah. Okay, but in O Messenger of Allah, in another hadith, you said we have to believe in you. Any Jew and Christian who hears about me and does not believe in me, he has the fire. He's punished. Right? That's Sahih Muslim. But O Messenger, so o Messenger of Allah, does that not apply then? Of course it applies. You have to interpret everything in light of everything else to get a consistent message. That's the value of interpretation and the importance of interpretation. So that's the answer to all those who state okay, that the verse of Surah Al-Baqarah, believe in Allah in the last day. That's a false interpretation because it flies directly against explicit verses and hadith that state otherwise. Okay? So therefore, such a verse must be interpreted. And the interpretation is, it's shorthand for belief in Allah and the last day. That's just okay. an extension of part one, isn't it? Just you take all the evidence. Thank you. It's in, that's in application. It's like an applied yeah. situation where we're not going to touch the result. Right. Forget the result. It's not our business, the result of Allah's will. It's Allah's will. It's not our will. We have a methodology. The methodology is all the verses must, must be consistent with one another and hadith. There cannot be a single inconsistency. So any interpretation of any verse cannot contradict another verse and if it does it must be interpreted so there must be something about that first that we're missing in interpretation we plug in all the verses we get the result that's it so Ahlul Kitab being the Jews and the Christians because they do have a book now there were messengers sent elsewhere but everything about them was lost there is not a single people of Indians of Chinese of Native Americans South Americans, Aboriginals of Australia, people in the middle of Africa, people of the Norse lands, Norway, Sweden, Madiki Click's great-grandfathers, all of Ryan's great-grandfathers, all of those people at some point in time received a messenger with a book, with a sharia, yet did not necessarily were they followed up by prophets to renew their message, and they may have died off. So three-fourths of the prophets and messengers came to one area, a headquarters, which was Bani Israel, and one-fourth prophets and messengers to the rest of the world. Okay? So you have a headquarters, and you have ancillary. I mean, uh, this is companies do the same thing. There's headquarters. CNN has its headquarters in Atlanta, yeah. and they have offices everywhere else in the world that are not even close to the size of the office in Atlanta, right? The studio 
in Atlanta. I didn't introduce our guest today, but we have Tarha. Sharif is asking about you. Oh, really? Yep. Assalamu alaikum. And we have Suhaib. This is not Suhaib from Arkansas. This is Suhaib from Atlanta. And he's friends with Shockwave, the, the new X-Men. Good. These are our guests today. And, of course, our sponsor is, besides being MeccaBooks.com, it is Patreon.com backslash Safina Society. That's how you're going to help this podcast. All right, let's get back to the topic. Al-Mushrikeen, in the language of um, the Sharia, is any religion that is not rooted in a prophet. So any made-up, what we just call it made-up stuff, mm. right? In layman's terms, made-up stuff. It's just things and stuff that, as Sayyidina Yusuf said, it's just names, words that you said, just you put together, words, ideas. So all these, the East tended towards idolatry, paganism, and the West tended towards animism. If you think about the West, the, how did like Native American, Norse, it's all animism. It's like mm-hmm. the sky, the ocean god, Sun. the tree gods, all these different gods, right? But they're in nature. These are forces of nature. Whereas the East went straight idolatry, building, building their own the gods. Like Africa was all the ancestors, right. right? All of these are different forms of paganism to us. And they come in the category of mushrikeen. Now, this verse does not mention another category of kafir which we have someone's here I don't know who's knocking but uh, we have another category of kafir it's not mentioned here but it is the, the zindiq and the murtad in Islam so, so why doesn't it mention here because Islam hasn't been established yet right it's not mentioned in the verse because at the time of the advent of Islam there are no Apostates or Zindiqs. So the apostate is somebody he sloughs off the identity as a Muslim. He was a Muslim, but he's not anymore. So if he says, I'm a Christian now, well, his apostasy overtakes that because he was in Islam and he left it. He's a murtad. Secondly, the the other category is the Zindiq. And the Zindiq is the one who claims to be a Muslim but believes in it that which contradicts what is known in religion by necessity the matters that were explicit and repeated. What's known in religion by necessity? A handful of things. We could probably would be let, we could put it on the screen. Like so Qadianis. Qadianis, 100%. Oh, 100% Zindiq, right? Uh, because they believe in a prophet after the prophet. Now you ask any person in Islam, how many prophets are there? There's one prophet. And he's the final prophet. There's no other prophet. I, I bet your baby knows. Like, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, he could probably say it. He could probably tell you. Anyone who's basically just seven-year-old grew up in Islam will know these things because they're, they're repeated so much. Like you you, you got to know there's something called the Kaaba. It's like one of the first things you know, yeah. right? And that's why the Muslim households, they have it everywhere. Picture of the Kaaba everywhere, right? What, well, we fast a month of Ramadan, not Shawwal, not Shaban, all right? Hajj happens in Mecca. Prayer, there's five prayers a day. So these very basic things, pork is haram, alcohol is haram. So that will be a zindiq. And the zindiq, he can say, recite and memorize the whole Quran. He could say, La ilaha illallah all day. He's, he's not a Muslim. 
All those are not Zindiqs, but they're Mubtadiya. Okay. They're Mubtadiya. Because they're negating something explicit, but not widespread. Like, you, they would require investigation. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a cursory investigation, but it would require investigation. So those are Mubtadiya, which means that um, they are, uh, their deeds are not valid. It's very bad. Their deeds aren't valid until they fix their beliefs. And they're punished on the Yom Al-Qiyam, rejected from the fountain of the Prophet on the Day of Judgment. Okay. So, what is a, a grave sinner in Islam is not either of those categories. Someone who does, he kills every day and he never prays. A day in his life, right? And he kills somebody every day and he never fasts or prays. And he, that's the yeah, major sinner, fasik. He kills someone every day. He gets drunk every day. He commits zina every day. He never prays or fasts. And he steals every day, right? That person, he is a ma- major sinner, fasiq, beyond the pale of anything we can imagine, but he hasn't altered the beliefs, right? So as a result, he can still be a mu'min, but he's just a major sinner. Because all his sins are of the flesh, right. of the body, not of the mind. Okay? So that's, a, that's some people like, oh, are you serious? Yeah, we're serious. Because the sins are different. Like a guy, he's got the GPS set right in his bus. Or in his car. But every time the GPS says go left, he says, ah, I'm going to go right. Every time he contradicts the GPS. All right? That's one guy. Another guy, his GPS doesn't work. It has a bug in it. Right? And, but he's trying to follow it. All right? Which one has a chance to arrive at the destination? The first guy. The first guy. If he changes his behavior, he will arrive at the destination. The second guy, he's got a bug in his GPS. Yeah. It was never telling him the right direction. No matter how pious he follows it, it's never going to tell him the right direction. So that car, is a, that, that's the category of the Muptada. Mm-hmm. No matter how pious you think you are, you're never arriving at the destination because you have a bug in your GPS. Whereas the sinner, okay, the sinner is somebody who, he's just not following his GPS, but he's got the right GPS. It is rerouting every moment to the, to the correct destination. Right. Now there's a sep- a, another discussion of what's worse, committing sins or avoiding obligations. And what I came upon is that the scholars don't have one set answer for that, but they did say that um, committing sins is worse than not doing obligations because that, it's harder. A hypocrite can fast and pray, right? But it's much harder to resist yourself from zina, alcohol, those things but Allah knows best and, and it, it, sometimes they don't like that question because it seems to be uh, diminishing yeah it seems like it's diminishing uh, uh, Salah and Som things like that but it is if you think about it everyone prays and fasts all like people in an Islamic community they all pray and fast so what's the difference between them who avoids sins in private that's the, really the hard part right so I don't want, I don't, I don't want your record if I'm going to take someone's book to the Day of Judgment, I'm not going to go and look at the mosque. I'm going to look at your search history and what you do at night when no one's looking. That's way more important, right, than what you do in the message. In the message, we're all praying and fasting and being pious, right? Even if you're not, you're just like fitting in, right? Fitting in, right? Even if you're weak, the group encourages you. It doesn't mean you're insincere, but the group encourages you. Really where, you're, where the rubber hits the road, what's really important 
is behind the scenes. Right, behind the scenes. Uh, like, like in business, you could have, at one point, Amazon was doing $33 billion in sales, but their debt was like $32 billion, right? The cost of doing that was $32 billion. It's like insane. So like in business, you don't look at the, uh, the income. You look at the difference, right? The difference. So if, I, if I'm doing 500 grand in sales, but my cost of doing business is only five grand. Then I'm 495 grand in, in, in net. But if I'm doing 600 grand in income, but my costs are 550, right? Then I'm a lot worse. So we don't look at the, the, the great deeds you do. We want to look at the difference. And avoiding sins is extremely important. But again, this is a moot point because avoiding sins takes effort, takes iman. This is all academic. In reality, it doesn't work like this. You can't have somebody who avoids sins and doesn't do good deeds, right? <laughs> Unless you're old, you have no temptations, you have no energy to commit sins. There's a lot of people like that, right? There's a lot of old people who, and I sat with one of them, to be honest with you. I sat with a guy, he was a relative, sitting in Egypt. This guy, he was old. He never prayed, right? He never did anything. He was old, and he's sitting there. Every woman that walks by, he has to look for a long time and comment, right? And he's like, back in my day, I could have had that one, that one, that one. He's but I'm too old now, right? So <laughs> you're, you're not sinning just because you can't sin anymore, Right? And how many people are like that? They're just not sinning because they can't. If Allah gave them the ability, they do it. So the issue is, it's really impo- impossible to not to avoid temptations without a lot of iman. So this discussion of sins versus good deeds, it's a moot point. Just totally academic. Anyway, back to the surah. لم يكن الذين كافروا من أهل الكتاب والمشركين منفكين They will not stop. They will not stop trying to lead you astray away from your deen. Mumfakin means letting go. Okay? They will not stop. Mumfakin. Hatta ta'tihun bayina. Which means, Mustaqbal ma'anahu al-madi ay hatta atatum al-hujja al-wadiha yani anna al-Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yatihum bil-Qur'an fabayyana lahum dalalatuhum wa jahalatuhum wa ja'ahum ila al-Islami wa al-Imani fahadhi al-Ayah fi man amana min al-Fariqayn. Okay. So they're not going to stop until the transmitted knowledge comes to them. So observation, reason was not enough for them. Okay? Not enough for them. It had to come from the Prophet ﷺ. And in this meaning, it could be also mean it had to come as a force in the earth. They're not going to stop. Even they're not going to stop because you inform them that this is false. Right? That's not going to, it's going to stop because you have an army. So there are, it's different layers of meaning here. Some will stop when they're informed that there's a prophet and a God and a creator. Some will stop when the evidence is produced. Some will, and some will not stop until they see a formidable political, economic, cultural force in front of them. Then they will buckle and stop. 
Okay, such as who? The Beni Umayyah. The Beni Umayyah were a tribe that took, that took the Riasa of Quraysh. They took the chieftaincy of Quraysh. Okay. And when they took that chieftaincy of Quraysh, they, Abu Sufyan didn't want to let it go. Like, you're chief now of the biggest tribe in the whole, in your, of your people. He didn't want to let it go. He had to let it go only when there's no other choice. The army's here in Mecca. They surrounded Mecca. You literally physically have no other choice. So that's the only time he let it go. So al-bayyina, the, the proof, is different for different people. For some people, the proof is so easy. Like Bilal ibn Rabah. Sayyidina Bilal, he was sitting as a, uh, as, a, as a slave with all the other slaves in the morning waiting for their assignment. And he saw the Prophet He said, that's not the face of a liar. I'm with him. Not a word was spoken. He just saw him. That's how clean his heart was. Others, a couple debate discussions, they entered Islam. Still others, they needed more. Khalid bin Walid and Amr bin al-As, they, when they saw that the momentum has permanently shifted after the battle of the Khandaq, after the battle of Khandaq, which was the last and final onslaught by the Quraysh on the Prophet and they couldn't break Islam. Right after that, Khalid bin Walid, on the way back, and Amr bin As, they said, ball game's over. Right? Islam has won. The Prophet, no, no one's defeating Muhammad anymore. Right? Because if we, if we gathered everyone, we gathered a little bit from every single tribe, that's never going to happen again. So if they have survived that onslaught, then they'll survive everything. Now it's, the, it's reversed. So within a few you know, weeks after the Khandaq, they both came and submitted to Islam and moved to Medina. So everyone has... So what this, what this ayah is saying is basically everyone's got a different threshold. And that's why some people, the, most, the strongest threshold is needed, which means our armies are at your door. Would you now stop being stubborn and accept the truth? Right? So that's how some people are. They say to you, oh, you spread it with an army? Wait a second, your democracy has spread in Iraq and, and all the other worlds without an army? Yeah, your Western civilization was not spread by the British Empire and its guns and all, because, are you from Sudan? Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Okay, so in Sudan, they had one of the bloodiest resistances. Right? I don't know about Ethiopia, I'm sure they did too. Right? Still going on. Still yeah. going on. But when they went to uh, Sudan, the Sudanese came out with spears and swords and arrows. And the British, you had this guy in a nice fancy British uniform he just has the bullets uh, they, they, in a cranking machine lined up. You install the bullets in and you just crank like this. You just crank. That's all you do. You move your hand like this and the, the, the gun oh, fires. Law mowing, right? Video game. And you had these like, people with a lot of heart but no technology. They came after them with spears and stuff. They just mowed them down. I didn't even break a sweat. And that's how the British came and went and spread their common law and their ideas, right? So don't be naive as to the stubbornness of people, right? And the British, I'm sure many of them said, you know, look at these people living in, in, in mud homes, 
Look, we don't live in mud homes in England. We live in nice homes. We have nice clothes, right? They're wearing robes. So when you can come civilize them, but that's what they thought, right? So it's not far off. Every society who believes in themselves believes we got to do you guys a favor, and we're no different. Except this is the truth, and yours doesn't. You know, so they, I don't think the Americans and and these obnoxious American feminists, and they look and say, oh look at these women. We need to we need to liberate them. We need to liberate these women yeah. from themselves, and they interpret everything. Oh, she's good. Her husband is forcing her. She's good. It's her dad is forcing her, right? This is contradictory, contradictory though. Like the way they do it, like the, the way they believe, like how they, everyone should be free to her choices, et cetera, et cetera. No, yeah, and they, but they, and and they totally disrespect yeah. every other Muslim woman, saying it's her husband is forcing her to right. do that. It's her dad is forcing her to do that, or her society is forcing her to do that, right? Like France, like so you, Islam in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you guys got. So you actually believe that there's. 100 million, 500 million Muslim women who have no brain, no willpower of their own, right? So they come in with that attitude. Every society that believes in what they have, they believe that they have the right and the obligation to forcibly fix you. Mm. We also do believe that too. The only difference is one of us is going to be right, one of us is going to be wrong, right? And we're right. And we're right. And the Prophet has, you're lucky. Because he's put limits on what we can do to you. Right? <laughs> it's the truth. He's put limits. Like, if he, they accept Islam on their own, stay, go home. You can't touch them. If they don't, and you end up fighting their army, you can only fight their army. You can't fight their common people. You can't. That's already more than what, these imperial Oh, that's what already. That's already gone. Yeah. yeah. If they... Uh, if you enter their lands... You can't forcibly convert anybody. You could just call the Adhan, have preachers preach, but you can't force anybody, right? You have to protect them. If you get invaded, and a Dhimmi gets invaded, a Dhimmi is the non-Muslim in the Muslim territory. If he gets invaded, and he loses property, hold on a second, we were charging him, Jizya, to protect him. We don't want you in our army. We only want Mu'minin in our army, right? So you're not going to be in the army, but you will pay us and we will protect you. Let's say he paid you over the years $5,000. But he's got property damage by an invading force of $6,000. Now you owe him $1,000 now, right? Because you couldn't protect him. That was the contract. So you owe him. What kind of law is this? It's a really generous law. Because at the end of the day, Although there is force, the Prophet ﷺ wants the hidayah of the people. And the sharia is designed for these people to enter Islam. Right? So that's the zakah can be used. If you see someone's close to entering Islam, give them money so you can enter Islam. Right? So much so, the Umayyads, they're upset by this. The Umayyads were worldly. They loved the dunya. In general. Of course, there's Amr ibn Abdul Aziz and others. But in general... They loved the dunya. They loved the jizya. They wanted you to stay not Muslim. Now when the guy converts, he's not paying jizya anymore, right? They would send him away. Now it's a fake conversion. You just don't want to pay. We would say, you have to accept it. Yeah, we have to accept it. So that's what, Umar, one of the revolutions of Omar ibn Abdul Aziz is he accepted all the conversions which cut the balance sheet of the state, cut the jizya out of the balance sheet. 
so they got upset. It's like, this was income for us. This jizya was nice income for us. It's like, it's not income for you, right? It's not your money. It's money for the ummah. And Allah didn't send the Prophet as a tax collector. That's his famous statement. The Prophet was not sent as a tax collector. He was sent as a guide. So that's the concept there that um, they will stay upon this until the proof comes and the proof is of different levels. Okay. Rasulun min Allahi yatlu suhufan mutahhara. Right? What is the crux of this? It is reciting the message of Allah to you. Right? We have no business with you. You are Allah's creature. We just tell you the message and we do our job. Okay? We send you the message and that's it. Right? Like gorilla dawah? Huh? Like gorilla dawah? Yeah, we give them the dawah. What you do with it is between you and Allah. It's very, it's like for, for us, mostly we might not deal with non Muslims as much as we deal with youth and other Muslims, right? We give you the dawah. We give you, tell you what Allah loves, what Allah doesn't love. I'm not going to control you. Allah says to the Prophet, you know, you're not there to control people, right? Just give them the message and move on with life. You want to practice it? Allahu Akbar. You don't want to? We'll keep trying and keep giving you da'wah. We don't leave you, but we not, I'm not your controller. You have your own relationship with Allah, and that's extremely important. We're not trying to control you. And if you believe it, or if someone else comes and does the da'wah, good. So it's, these concepts are very important. فِيهَا كُتُبٌ In the Qur'an is, this is a religion that is of principles. Qayyima, عَادِلَ مُسْتَقِيمَ That, غير ذات عوجاج Which means, there's justice, it's upright, that means it's moral, its principles are moral, and it's also has no inconsistency. Upright. The people who gave the who received the book. Okay. They didn't differentiate or, or deviate or, or break up. So this is really important. Because the one criticism that Abu Jahl got right, which was a reality of the truth, but Abu Jahl used it for falsehood. Which is that Abu Jahl said, Islam divides families. Right? He was thinking, how are we going to, what can we say about Muslims? And he finally hit the bullseye. But not all division is bad. You divide between the toilet and the kitchen. Right? There's a big separation between criminals and kids. You don't let pedophiles come near schools, right? So you do separate between darkness and light. That is a value to society. So that separation that Islam does, it separates. So they may, people may all be together in ignorance. Because when you don't know something, you're all fine with it. This is what they call, like, um, what is it, this expression, like the innocence of ignorance. Ignorance is Yeah. Now the truth comes. Right? The truth comes, and now we all have a spiritual test. Some of us accept it, some of us don't. 
And that division is not a bad division. That's a good division. Because now we know your reality. So I got, uh, we got um, products in front of us. Let's test them all. And see which product is good, which product is uh, a fraud. Right? So that, that's a good division. Not all division is bad. But it's not like we're trying to exacerbate this. We're trying to bring everyone to the good. Everyone has the potential to be on the haq. So when the light comes, it separates between what we want in the room and we, what we don't want in the room. And that's the division that is mentioned here. وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينُ أُتُوا الْكِتَابِ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَةِ Ahl al-kitab, they only separated after the truth came. Which means, for example, Abdullah bin Salam, the Jewish rabbi, turned out he was sincere and his heart was true to Allah. We only knew that after the Prophet came. And other Jewish rabbis were not sincere to Allah. Before that, nobody could tell the difference. When the Prophet came, now you can see who's true and sincere and who's a fraud. Okay. What did Abu Jahl mean when uh, he said that Islam separates families? What was he observing? He was, well, he was observing that a person, <coughs> the son would become Muslim, the father would not. Okay. Okay. Like that. And so to scare people, says this is going to divide up your households, right? But it's it's a it's a true division. It's a good division, right? It separates true from false. Okay. Next ayah. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلَصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُتَزَكَّى وَذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقِيَمَةِ to prove that this is not a bad division. What's the proof? You haven't been told to do anything except believe in God and pray. Like, how is this a divisive message? This is not drugs. This is not hate. Okay? This is merely, like, why is this a bad division? All you've been told is to do something good. So therefore, someone who doesn't want to follow this, there's something wrong with them. Right? It's good that this has been isolated. You take an x-ray or a CAT scan, or whatever these scans are, and you say, okay, there's a cancer cell here, and this is a good cell. Isn't that, you've divided then between the cells, but that's a good division. We need to know what to get rid of, and what to keep. Mukhlasin, lahuddin. Right? You haven't been commanded to do anything except be pure, be sincere. Hunafa. Hunafa, that means reverting back to original fitrah that's what a hunafat means reverting back to original uh, there in some may use the word childlike childish is one thing that's not good childlike means pure as pure as a child like children don't have any agendas they don't care about the dunya they don't care about anything right so childlike that original hanif fitrah this is a deen that is based upon good principles. No secrets. There's no secrets in the deen. There's no secret society in the religion. There's no secret agenda in the religion. There's no we treat you one way and we treat ourselves another way because we don't care. No. We don't have this concept that uh, the kafir would do whatever you want to him. doesn't matter. Right? Uh, we don't have these concepts. It's a religion of principles. ثم ذكر ما للفريقين فقال إن الذين كفروا من أهل الكتاب المشركين then he, he gives the reward and the punishment you die upon kufr 
and shirk from Ahl al-Kitab or the Mushrikeen, either one, all right, you have Jahannam. Okay, you have Jahannam. You die upon that, that's the sentence that you're going to be get, getting. Okay, And they're the worst of the creation. And then, Nafa' in Warsh recites it, Bari'a, not Bari'a. And then the Mu'mineen, those who did righteous works, Allah advances the commentary upon them before the reward, says you're the best of the creation. Nobody knows who's better than who until the Day of Judgment comes. As uh, the Uwais uh, al-Qarni was on a garbage heap and he was very poor and purposely owned no wealth. He was on a garbage heap and he gets his food from the garbage. And a dog came and barked at him. He said, dog, you get one half and I get another half. I don't bother you, you don't bother me. Because we don't know who's better between us. If I cross the sirat, and you're an animal who will just be resurrected, justice will be done for you. Whoever abused you, you can abuse them back. And get kisas, okay? Not abuse them back, but get your justice from them. Whoever did good to you, you can testify, you get the reward and then you turn to dust. You disappear. Going to paradise is greater than disappearing. So if I pass the bridge, I'm better than you. If I fall into the hellfire, then turning into dust is better than being tortured. Then if I fall into the, uh, into the hellfire, you're better than me. So at this point, we don't know who's better. That's the aqid of a Muslim, because I don't know how I'm going to die. Like at this moment, what I'm upon is superior. Right? And because of that's what I identify with, yeah, then we could say the Muslim is superior to the Kafir because he's, he's, he's on something better and he identifies with it. But we don't know how it's going to end. Saeed versus Philippe. Huh? Saeed versus Philippe. Yeah. yeah. We, we, you, you may change at the end of your life. And I may change at the end of my life and we seek Allah's afiyah from that. Mm-hmm. And I may not change and you may change. So we may be equal. Right. And I may not change and you may be better than me. Oh. Right? So you may still be better than me, right? But, and both of us are good. So this concept and the idea of knowing the ends of people is an important concept for us. We don't know who's better. We can say who's better at this moment, right? But we don't know the future. And that's it. Their reward is, جَنَّاتِ عَدٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا Eternally therein. Why are they eternally therein? Because beliefs are things that you never change when you take a belief on something and you're you say yes this is my conclusion i'm i'm done i've made my conclusion you intend to keep that conclusion forever okay you intend to keep that conclusion forever and that's why beliefs are rewarded or punished with eternal uh rewards and punishments furthermore it's thought and said that well it is said in the quran that the kafir will say at the end of his life, let me come back and do righteous deeds. And he'll be told, if you came back, you would just do the same, you would live the same exact life if you lived a million times. So when in this 70 years that you've lived, you've exhausted all your possibilities. If you were to come and if, live 7,000 years, you would live the same way. So whatever chance, that, time that you have here, whatever you concluded with, you'd do it forever. Okay. We'll read one more hadith on Anas ibn Malik. On Anas ibn Malik, 
قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لأبي إن الله تعالى أمرني أن أقرأ عليك لم يكن الذين كفروا قال وسماني ربي قال نعم وقال همام عن قتادة أمرني أن أقرأ عليك القرآن أبي بن كعب was a great sahabi who was extremely uh, adept and knowledgeable in the Quran and the Prophet ﷺ said Allah has commanded me to recite to you Surah Al-Bayanah and he said Allah named me he said recite to obey he said yes he named you and so many times the Sahaba are so shocked so surprised that Allah Ta'ala is giving them any attention or paying them any heed. But a person should not imagine that there's some small little flick or speck in the universe. Rather, as a human being, this, that, that idea assumes that there's too much creation for Allah to have time to, or to have the energy or to have the ability to pay attention. No. Allah says in the Quran, to preserve all of this takes Allah not a single iota of energy so if Allah creates a sand grain of sand his attention upon this a grain of sand okay is not taken away from it his gaze upon that grain of sand the existence of entire universe does not take away from his preservation of that grain of sand and a little ant that may have its own type of mind, that may have its own concerns and fears, Allah Ta'ala's gaze upon that ant is not taken away, not one bit, by the existence of the rest of the universe. Right? So this concept that, oh, why would Allah care about me when there's so many other things going on? Well, think, if He didn't, why did He create you? Allah Ta'ala is far more generous and the matter is far simpler than people make it out to be. Right? It's shaitan who complicates things and makes you feel helpless and useless. Or, this is so far away, I'm, I'm not worthy any of attention. All that is untrue for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His generosity is far simpler and greater than people imagine it to be. But if they understood this, then they realize how much love Allah has for His creation and how simple the matter is. That is it for section number three of our program today. We move on to section number four, or segment number four, and that is our Q&A. It's now 3.15, so let's take a Q&A. Let's start our Q&A right now. Okay. Wasn't there a question from way back? Question from way back from Sophia about a Wahhabi fiqh book. And for the concept that we mentioned earlier, you choose a methodology, right? And you stick to that methodology. You cannot mink, mess up your methodologies. That's what we were telling to Yunus Awan the other day. That he's watching this video and this video and this video. You will end up confused. No, I want to watch them just to refute them. You're not ready to refute them. I want to go and fight Conor McGregor because he said something bad about Islam. You're not ready to fight. Sit down. Before you get yourself killed, right? Yes, your spirit is good, but you're not ready for that. Sit down. Train. And then you could fight him, right? So the concept of we want to fix things, that's wonderful as a sentiment. That doesn't mean you're ready for it, right? So you, you want to study on one methodology, one method of, 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 of usul in fiqh and aqidah, 
And you want to become so adept in that, right? And then you want to learn all the information that comes in. You have to have knowledge of Quran, knowledge of Hadith, right? Before you ever are able to have a debate with another methodology or even expose yourself to another methodology. You can expose yourself with another methodology, you'll get so confused. You don't mix the two. And that's the, the way that the ulama have always been. Right? They've always been like this. Yeah, back in the old days, Imam al-Nawi, do you think if Imam al-Nawi had a student, he's like 12 years old, studying Shafi Fit. And he says, you know what, Imam al-Nawi, I want to go and study the Batiniyyah, the Shia, and, the, and I want to study even the Sunni groups, the Hanabila. He's going to say, it's too early for that. It's not time yet. Sit and memorize this usul and let it be part of your skin, your, your blood and your DNA and your bones. Then you can later on study other things and, and refute them, right? If you want to refute them. So that's why we study one methodology and get so good at it. And then you can move on. What if it's something supplementary, for example, like I know uh, some students that have been, I guess, under the, like studying like Shadi, like method like studying students end up going to, let's say, Salafi-leaning ulama uh, for sciences like Qaraat or detailed science like that where I guess specialization is kind of hard to find, especially out here in the West. Um, that's a tough question. If you're a student of knowledge in a method and there's another jama'ah out there that's a little bit, maybe we would say, not in accord with one of the madahib. Right. Do you study an ancillary science such as tajweed from them, right? I would say that depends on the level of... That student should ask his teachers. Mm-hmm. His teachers know his... There's no flat answer. Right. That's like a specific answer, right? So the teacher should know, yeah, he can go. He's not going to be affected. And he's grounded enough. And that teacher is not like a preacher. He's not going to try to pull him in. Yeah. And he sticks to his tajweed. So it's really up for that um, uh, play by ear, ear, yeah. Case by case basis, that's the right word. Okay. um, Let's see, what else we got? We got beef here in the chat? Big beef today in the chat. Why is that? Hmm. Omar Dizman, what are the benefits of Salat al-Kamil 100 times? One of them is that your du'a will be answered. If you recite a lot of salah on the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, okay, that one of its benefits is du'a will be answered and you'll be given what you want. Another benefit is that your griefs will go away. Uh, okay, so there is basically a fight in the stands. You ever go to a... When you were young, did your parents take you... No one's watching the ever go to Yankee Stadium, middle of July. It's a regular season game. There's more action in the stands, right, than there is in the field. There's more people fighting, especially at the end of the game when people have drank a lot. Right now, they don't sell beer after the seventh inning. But back in the old days, people used to drink all the way to the ninth inning, and the game is like it's already six-one. Nobody cares. There's more action to sit, put your back to the game. And watch the, the crowd. There's going to be fights. There's 40,000 people here, right? Yeah. And it's like a Monday afternoon, Memorial Day, Monday off from school. You go out there, 
It used to be $14 ticket to a Yankee game, right? And you just watch the audience, the fans. There's more action going on in the crowd. And that's sometimes here, it, it, it seems that um, there was a, a battle here that all stemmed, I think, from the um, Salafi situation. Well... Okay. That's a blast from the past. All right, El Saracen says, El Saracino, I'm a convert. My parents divorced when I was little. I never saw my father. He wasn't interested. He died a few years ago. Did I owe him anything? If you lost touch with him, then you can't fulfill anything to him. If you were able to, but you didn't... uh, uh, You did owe him if he was sick you help to help him if he was in need you have to help him but if he's out of you don't even know where he is plus nothing you could do about it because the prerequisite of helping somebody is to know where he is like if he left I don't even know where he is anymore the prerequisite's gone I can't help him anymore so you're innocent okay can a Madiki follow chef a witch and fetch since they do kunut out loud with their hands up. Pray behind them, yes. You, you can pray behind any imam whose madhab is sound. Who's on a sound madhab. What's the ruling on wearing safety boots? The shape of a bull on it. It's acceptable. You wonder who's, uh, it's flat uh, image, that's why. And it's not a whole image. Yes. Uh, you might know. <laughs> it might be a similar person. Like, you might yeah. shock me. So like we, I, I follow the chef in Madhab and uh, he's prayed behind me in the a few times. Yeah, and, uh, we do the kunut. Yes. And it's, <laughs> so more, uh, you can pray behind yeah. them, no problem, <laughs> not a problem at all. What's that? We have kunut in fajr silently before the rukua. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They do it out loud after the rukua, Shafi. What if someone does abundant salah but they don't see apparent benefit? There is obviously benefit, but I don't see it. Okay? Then the mechanism that is doing the salawat has something wrong with it. So you keep doing it until you see the benefit. Okay? You keep doing it until you see the benefit. R2D2 says, if you're, is your salah invalid if you don't follow up with adhkar after? No. If you salam out and you do not do tasbih, your salah is not invalid. It's valid, but you're missing out on a lot of goodness. As the Prophet ﷺ said, the dua after the salam, at the end of the salah, sorry, the dua at the end of the salah is accepted. He worded it in such a way that the ulama then asked the question, at the end of the salah, within it or after it? So they didn't know. So therefore, it became within the salam, before the salam, and after the salam. That dua goes straight up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Caitlin says, is salah kamila better than other salawats? No, we can't say one salah is better. They all have their virtues. And really, it is the one that you recite with ikhlas. And the longer ones tend to be, the more effort the salawat take, like the longer ones, the more impactful they are. That's many people said that from their experience. Is swearing an oath on Allah in dua that the dua is answered permissible? I, I don't really understand what that means, Shay K. So please uh, ask that again. 
Sophia says you have if you have a book that is like for example from some group can we throw it in the garbage the answer is not if it has verses and hadith and then mention of the prophet's name in that case we do have a big fitna a big problem in our world today there's too much there's Allah's name written everywhere what do I do with these books people come drop off pamphlets in the masjid what do we do shred them cut the bind and then shred the pages or um, find some way to to get rid of it without throwing it in the garbage that's not permitted for us to do so if you have um, you can burn them but sometimes if they're glossy and stuff that's actually bad for your for your chimney so and also it produces a type of smoke the burning plastic yeah and that smoke we got called the fire department people called the fire department when we did this they thought that there was a fire in the masjid so they came the fire department came so that's the problem with that the bible how would that would that be in jeel same thing if it has the name of god and the names of those prophets that's what's sacred in it subhanallah oh. there's uh, one of the daughter cats of walking around with sheikh murad mm-hmm. like um anytime he sees like a nickel or a penny on the ground he'll pick it up because it has the word god on yeah. it right yeah subhanallah see in the quran it mentions that oppressors would have destroyed churches synagogues and mosques Look what the verse says, in which Allah's name is mentioned in it. It does not say in which the truth is mentioned. Because in the churches and synagogues, the truth is not mentioned. Lies are mentioned. But in those lies is the name of Allah, is the name of Moses, the name of Jesus. That's blessed and that's sacred. And if they get anything out of their religion, it's just the mention of that name. But the context is a lie. That's why Allah says, He did not say the truth is mentioned in them. He said, the name of Allah. The name of Allah is mentioned a lot. They say God a lot there. Or Christian, Arab Christians will say Allah. So that is what's sacred to us. And therefore, even if I had the Bible, we would elevate it because the name of Allah is upon it. Even if its content, we say, is altered and is a lie. So we would have to dispose of it properly. Right. Um, a friend asked, uh, so like if you were gifted one or... Gifted a Bible? Yeah. Would you, do you give it out or do you... Like, uh, no, we wouldn't pass it out. Because yeah, like misguide people. Yeah, you can't pass out misguidance. Yeah. yeah. Certain things you can give away that doesn't have misguidance in it. Okay. Okay. It's just forbidden for men. For example, the silk shirt. The Prophet yeah. said, Omar, you can give it to your brother. The Prophet gave Omar, Sayyidina Omar, a silk shirt. After having forbidden silk. Okay. So he said, don't you have a brother who's not a Muslim? Give it to him. But we couldn't do that for khanzir. So there is no intrinsic harm in silk for men. It's a test. But there is intrinsic harm in alcohol and khanzir. So we cannot give out alcohol and khanzir. Or a Bible. Or a book of Ahlul Bid'ah. Right? So if I had a book of, let's say, uh, Qadiani 101... I'm not going to go and say, hey, you're a Qadiani, take this. No, right? That's misguiding him even more. All right, when Allah says, when you've taken the decision, trust in Allah. How do we reconcile with the possibility that our desired decision not being in the Qadr of Allah? You have no business with the Qadr of Allah. You have the business of using your mind and your knowledge to make the best decision for yourself and asking people and doing istikhara. Once you've come to a conclusion, go with it. You have no business with the Qadr of Allah. That's not our business. Reviving art, does this not create disunity? Uh, please explain which, what do you, 
mean by that because I don't know what, what the pronoun you're talking about is. Something, obviously something that we said here, but... Um, so please uh, tell us. You all hear the construction back there? Is he knocking? Is he knocking? Uh-huh. What does he want? No, he's... <laughs> yeah. No, we got a we got a guest in the live stream here. Hey, what's happening? Hi. How are you? What can we do for you? I'm not getting open the window. Can you please? Oh, you want the screen off? The screen off. Am I? Am I on? Open. Am I on? Okay. Thank you. We can close this? Yeah. There, so everyone knows that when we raise funds for the construction, it's actually happening. It's looking, it's looking really good. I can't wait till the finished product, then we'll show everyone, inshallah, on Giving Tuesday. <coughs> Mahmoud Zaini uh, is asking about political philosophers. There is. There is one out of Morocco. I forget his name, but he's really amazing. Huh? Where's Mubashir's speak? On Instagram? or? No. Oh, Mubashir. Mubashir's political philosophy that we mowed down the other day. The value of being a Muslim senator. Uh, reviving art, did you answer the question? Uh, Mudassir says, I just heard for the first time that you can't cut nails after Maghrib. I never heard of that. I never heard of anything like that. And if, if it is, it must be something like for a reason. Like you might cut your finger because you can't see or something like that. Like in our religion, we don't have rules that are so specific on daily life, except that they have a reason. And if that reason, that there's, there must be a reason. We don't have rules like that, really, if you think about it. Um, yeah, growing up, that's what I heard. You heard that too? Like, usually, like, after Mother of Sunset, just don't, like, wait till, like, the next morning, actually. Like, oh, really? Right before 8, for example, or, like, on the morning, like, right after Fajr. Okay, so that maybe means it's sunnah to do it. Right. On the morning of Juma, for example. But even on other like days, like let's say like I want to cut my nails on a specific like a Wednesday night. Really? Be like, nah. Are you serious? <laughs> we gotta find out about that. <laughs> Mahmoud Zaini says, Can kufr be a state? There is a state of kufr, but it's not the legal category. The state of kufr is rejecting the blessing of Allah. Yeah. And rejecting the truth is not kufr, but it's it's like uh jahud, right? But you would legal, the legal category of kufr is merely nothing other than the outward statement of kufr, right? That's the legal category. Nimra, what is the correct way and number of durud uh, to have our du'a answered? At least three hundred a day, if not a thousand a day. Hmm. Why does some du'a take longer to be accepted than others? Same thing. Why? Why does the uh, a surgery a surgeon's degree take longer than a plumber's? Right. Maybe you ask for something that takes a lot of that takes a lot before it happens. Like I can become a plumber in two years, right? I can be an electrician in like two three years, but I can't be a brain surgeon in two three years, right? I mean, it's, it takes me a long time. So certain things also sometimes a lot loves the dua of the person and wants to cement their ibadah first. Like you make dua for this for five years, by the year five, you're a different person than year one. You'll never leave off ibadah again. So sometimes Allah's waiting, is, is not astaghfirullah doesn't wait, but is 
cooking you, basically. What's that? He's withholding it until you develop to the level that you can handle it. Because you may receive it and not handle it properly. I don't some mashaykh do that as well with the awrad given, like, uh, like, some rabbis, like, yeah. a certain, like, amount of salawat to say on a daily, or... Of course, sometimes a shaykh will only give you one word to say, because he knows you won't be consistent with two. Right. And he won't give you two, he'll give you two, but he knows you won't be consistent with three. So consistency is the key. Right. Okay. All right, let's see what else we got here. Mm. Snail soup. How did that kind of get involved? Snail soup is from Nigeria. Sure, Chief Latif mentioned it. <laughs> I, I had snails before, Nigerian. Tahira, why do you have favoritism when choosing questions? Maybe, yes. A snail, is it, is it aquatic or no? Is a snail aquatic? Can it live under, can it exist underwater? Then we do not have to, it does not require the cat. But if it is a land creature, it requires the cat. You know uh, Musa Maliki on Twitter? Yeah. And like, I guess he had like this whole series of snail soup or yeah. weird, like, I mean, it's a Did, Yeah. I don't know if it's aquatic or not. But. <laughs> The cat is the the cat, not zakat, different from zakat. The word the cat means that it is the way of killing something that makes it permissible for us to eat. Like the beef. Yes. And there's different ways about it to do it. Looking at a cartoon aura without attraction. Um, like a drawing of a, na- of a naked woman. Or a naked duck. Like Daffy Duck? <laughs> like who? I don't know what it is because his his little icon is Donald Duck. So I don't know what kind of cartoon he's talking about, but clearly if it's genitalia, then la. Yeah. If not the sin of attraction, it's just la. We're not going to do that. I've been a Hanafi all my life, says Vantaview. Learning more about other madhabs, I'm attracted towards the Madhiki madhab. Is it permissible to change? Of course, it's permissible to change without whimsicalness, like as a decision. This is it. I'm making a decision, right? My methodology has changed, but not whimsicalness, as long as it's a genuine decision. I knew somebody that uh, grew up Shafi his entire life. Yeah. And uh, I guess he got married. And the whole, like, the dilemmas of the woman had kind of had, had to be like, Yeah, so he just changed because of the touching of a woman. Yeah, yeah. so without, like, I guess sort of his lifestyle sort of changed in that way. It would as long, I, I think that as long as it's a consistent thing, okay. not a whimsical thing. Yeah. Right? Didn't uh, Imam change? Yeah, Imam Tahawi changed, he actually. He was Shafi to Hanafi. Muhammad Sayyid Gurkani. He used to be a Shia, by the way. He's, he's a Sunni now. Because, well... I'm just oh, going to yeah. keep saying it because he said, Radiallahu an Abu Bakr Umar Uthman Ali, right? So whether he was doing Taqiyya or not, who knows? But to us, <laughs> he's a Sunni. Muhammad Sunni Gurkani. I mean, is there anything different in how Malikis act or do in Muharram? <laughs> Maybe I was wrong. Uh, different from other Sunni Madahib, no? Nothing. Except that we, we, we and all other Madahib 
of Ahl al-Sunnah do mukhalafah to Ahl al-Bid'ah. We go against what Ahl al-Bid'ah do. Like if they go up, we're going to go down. If they put their hands up, we're going to put our hands down. We're always going to be different from them, right? Unless it's something of the deen, obviously. But if it's of judgment calls and culture and habits, whatever they do, we're doing something opposite. I was, it was really interesting. Talha was there when Sheikh Harun was explaining Sadal. Yeah. Like why did Maliki pray with their hands to their sides? And why was at one point the Mu'minin praying with their hands clubbed? Yeah. <coughs> and then it, changed, it was abrogated to Sadal. He said because when the Muslims had gone, made hijrah to Medina, the Jews there were praying like this. And Club. if you look okay. at a video of Jews, they pray with their hands on oh, their chest. Oh, okay. So it was, this is what you just said, the Prophet Sallallahu was Mukhalifa. doing the exact opposite. Doing the exact opposite, yeah. You always want to be different from Ahlul Kufri wal Bid'ah. Yeah. The habits of Kufri and Bid'ah. I think that same brother was asking, uh, I guess he mentioned uh, that Imam Malik who was a student of Imam Jafar Sadiq and I think something he was. In, in relation with... Uh, there was no Shiism at the time or right. Shia culture or anything. There were Shias at the time, right. but they didn't have like these celebrations from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But there's he was the, his sheikh basically in spiritual matters was Jafar Sadiq. There's not a question about it. He himself says... He taught me how to love the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and etc. Okay. Um, why did Bani Israel receive so many of the prophets? Allahu alam. Uh, we had a headquarters of prophethood. Mahmoud Zaini, what's our position on new tech, new technologies? New technology is something that we should wait and see its benefit and harm, instead of diving into it. Like I'm not really planning on wearing that VR code thingy or that VR. Uh, uh, goggle thingy yeah. I'm happy with I am my reality I didn't need another addiction I just got over all my addictions to technology yeah. with goes, my flip phone it goes deeper than that though yeah. it's like uh, genetically modified food oh genetically modified food is another type of technology um, who, who knows these VR stuff becomes an economy that people can't live without just like the internet yeah. you can't say I'm never going to go on the internet okay then you're never going to do a lot of things right. that are necessary to do Someone else has got to do it for you. Caitlin, some people say, live as if your dua is definitely going to be answered. Yeah, and it, within reason. You're not going to, let's say, move home, do major things like that. Um, you, it, it, it can influence you in, with two halal things, two halal and reasonable options. What Zanati says... Is there a book you recommend that explains the different madhabs in a simple way in one book? Yes, but it may be a lot of reading, but it's simple reading. And that book is Abu Zahra's The Four Imams. Like it's a thick book, but you can see the biographies of the four imams. When you read that book, you'll get a very good idea of the different madhabs. Did you say it again? Uh, Muhammad Abu Zahra's book, The Four Imams. Yeah. Um... Chocolate was asking how to deal with liberal Muslims in MSA. <laughs> Although, I mean, that's like, I'm sure we've mentioned yeah. that a lot. But uh, recently, now, like, we're starting the school year up uh, in Georgia back. We start up around, like, August 17th, inshallah. And uh, there was some fitness that went on because uh, uh, he. Yeah, Matt earlier. Right? Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Um, but he, uh, so he wished Muharram Mubarak and some. Shiri came like and I was asking him like wait what, what do you mean by this like this is a month of mourning etc etc and I guess we were talking the other day like how to I guess reconcile like how to make like how to preach or 
explained about Karbala or everything that happened to Ahlul Bayt alayhi salam like in a way that it's neutral in a way I guess he, I believe he asked that so yeah we're not we're we are the lovers of Ahlul Bayt okay we are the lovers lovers of Ahlul Bayt and that takes nothing away from our love of the Sahaba yeah. because the Prophet said that my my family is like the ark and the Sahaba are like the stars Allah. so if you're traveling by sea don't you need both the ship and the stars you naturally need both right one for guidance and one for salvation yeah. so that's how we have a balance between the two we have no issue be having love of Ahlul Bayt and love of the Sahaba Okay, and that includes the love of Sayyidina Imam al-Hussein. There's, there's no doubt about. It. There's not even a discussion. So no discussion on that. So we're not going to go and decrease our love of Ahlul Bayt out of fear of Shiism. No, this, the antidote to Shiism is an increased love of the Sahaba as well. You love both the Sahaba and Ahlul Bayt. Does not everybody love his family and his friends? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Was the Prophet any different? Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Tahira, there's no favoritism. Where is your question? Poor Tahira never gets her question answered. Whereas I think some people have hacked it, like Sophia with her red question marks. Which one is that? Read it to me. How many question marks? Prince Matthew Gaming. Uh, he's just asking me, how am I today? We went camping. Ryan and I and a whole bunch of other guys. We came back exhausted. I personally was exhausted after that. We hiked. We swam. Uh, I don't think anyone gets great sleep there, but we slept. But that's why we're late today. Um, we were exhausted. Uh, but it's always good to do, go camping and get out there in nature. Bushra uh, Begum. Please make dua for my mother. Migraines, subhanAllah, and high blood pressure. Bushra, may Allah give a speedy shifat to your mother and, 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 and alleviate and relieve her from those migraines. I, can, I know how bad they are uh, from seeing my own family have, uh, go through migraines. Yeah. Sometimes they have to shut the light for like three days. I'm seeing bed for three days. Yeah, That's how bad it can get. Yeah. And, and, and water really helps with migraines and blood pressure. Just like ridiculous amounts of water. Okay, next. Jay Perez, advice on giving dawah to grandparents who are in their 90s and they deal with illness regularly. I think at that time, in their 90s, you can actually be a bit pushy, right? I think you should be because it's emergency time. Okay, it's like halas. They have one foot out the door. Maybe just like, actually, I don't know. Yeah. Like it really depends how they are. If some grandparents are like very religious, then just making a lot of prayers for them. Yeah. Islamic prayers. Like that'll eventually just hit them. I don't know. You mean out loud in front of them? Yeah, like with yeah. them and stuff. Praying with them if they're religious. Yeah. Shake the idea that Allah makes the sin hard and complicated for you and he saves you from it. Yes, that's true. And would this be the case for every believer? Not only every believer, every human being who comes to steal something for the first time, his own nervous system says, no, don't do it. He gets nervous, he's sweaty, he's upset, right? Every human being has this built into him. Even cats, subhanAllah, when a cat, you give it food, it eats it right in front of you. But if it steals food off your plate, it goes eats behind the couch, right? So even the cat has the same impulse, and we have that, and we should go by that. 
Eminem says, I get OCD thoughts. Please motivate me to ignore them. Uh, uh, That's a tough one. By telling you to ignore them, we're actually focusing on them. So just think of something else in life, right? Don't think, don't say ignore it and don't say it's happening. Just think about something else in life, Mm. right? Because if we say stop thinking of the red balloon, you're going to think of a red balloon. Hanafi S, Hanifa S, are there specific dua to strengthen relationship between husband and wife? There is taqwa between husband and wife, which means you have to monitor the, her rights, her feelings, his rights, his feelings, and work on that. That is the taqwa of Allah relate, related to the husband and the wife, right? And soften your own personality by salah on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And know that there's generosity. Allah is wasa. So don't be stingy with your time or your money. Any timeline and information about Safina winter Umrah? Yes, the Safina Saidi winter Umrah will be, inshallah ta'ala, in December. End of December into January and I actually have a call with the company this week to find out exactly the details of that. And then we'll put it out there and we'll get all you guys can sign up and we can do Umrah together. Okay. Practical Tips says Akumezi on implementing eating only one third, drinking one third, and leaving one third for air. The Prophet said, um, Well, the answer to that is every day, every uh, time you eat, take off one spoon of the food that you put in your plate. That's it. And put it back. Or don't take it in the first place. Just it, one spoon. That's all. Wailing is impermissible, says Uga Panda. Of course, wailing, hitting your hands, all that stuff is all not even anything in Islam at all. Event of you, I've been a Hanafi. Uh, we read this question. Gabriel Shaban, can you take a driving test with the opposite gender sitting next to you if you roll down the window? I think that when you go for your driving test, it, if you don't have a choice... <laughs> if you don't have a choice then I guess it's a moot point right if you have a choice you can ask for a male I guess right you can ask for a male so but if it already happened um, then halas what can you do uh, Sophia says Maham asks is it permissible to use cosmetic with snail secretion snail secretion is not nedges it is permissible. It's not nudges. Because snails are not discouraged nor forbidden to eat. They are halal to eat 100%. Therefore, their secretion is not nudges. Okay. I guess so. They use all sorts of stuff. So I hope they got the answer. General showing me yesterday, or Abdullah here showing me um, cow blood tofu. Cow blood tofu. That's the environmentalists and all the ve- killer vegans. That's nudges. Right. Well, cow dung. Cow blood. Cow blood. Uh, nudges, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Really cool guy. Where do we buy the books for the format that Brian put it up? Meccabooks. Meccabooks.com. Put in coupon code Safina. Wearing a suit with a silk lining. If there is a little bit of silk on a non-silk garment... Some have said that is permitted because it's not a garment that's silk. 
because there is a, a type of cloth itself that's half wool, half silk is permitted. I have a question. Yes. It's uh, concerning farm animals or like domestic animals. They're like, uh, if you're farming or obviously you're handling cattle, yeah. you're going to get some of their... Uh, None of their defecation is najis. Okay. Yeah. The defecation of animals that's halal to eat is all pure. So you can step in goose dung, um, chicken dung, cow dung, sheep urine, all that's pure. It's not pure for like, in what we say, pure for digestion. It's pure by sharia. It's not najis. If it's halal for you to eat, it's defecation. Defecation is not najis. Back home, they usually, uh, whenever in the countryside, usually, yeah, they have uh, these houses like built by cow dung. It's different, like furniture. They use it. Yeah. Cow dung is amazing. Yeah. Like, everything about the cow is amazing. I'm telling you. They used to use it for fuel. That as well. Yeah. yeah. The cow. Everything about it is meant for us to use. Yeah, it's subdued to us. That's why it's so amazing. But that doesn't need to go into worship. Right. Once you worship it, you stop using it. Then it becomes pointless, right? <laughs> Then it becomes like a, a problem for society. There's too many cows running around, right? <laughs> so you need to decrease the population. Mudassir says, how do we see the position of Muawiyah, radiallahu anhu, given the hadith the Prophet said that Ammar will be killed by a group who will be called, calling towards Jahannam. The hadith did not say that. It says, تَقْتُلُهُ الْفِئَ الْبَاغِيَةِ the, the tribe, or the, the group that is aggressing against, that is aggressing, will kill Ammar. So that means that they were not correct. Not correct does not always mean sinful. So we hold that the Syrians at that time, they were not correct. They were the rebellious army. Okay, And there, may, there is a category of rebellion that is based upon a, fa- a wrong ijtihad. Ijtihad that is wrong. And that's what we say. His ijtihad was wrong. Right? We can say the same about Sayyidah Aisha when the Battle of Jamal happened. Yeah, and less than that though even. Okay. Because she wasn't even, she was merely going to talk. Right. Right? She didn't initiate a battle. She didn't even have an opinion except we have to talk first mm-hmm. before you go to Kufa. Mm-hmm. So her ijtihad was, was, there was not, it was not even ijtihad. There was not even like a political decision. It's just she wanted to stop them to talk yeah. before going to Kufa. Before Sayyidina moved the capital to Kufa. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. The one of the battle. The battle was not even a, a battle that was really... Cons- it, could be, it was the Kharijites within Sayyidina Ali's army, the killers of Uthman. They wanted to always keep Sayyidina Ali in a state of distress. Why? Because he announced, once we settle the Khilafah, then I'm going to prosecute the killers of Uthman. So the killers of Uthman, what is their strategy? Keep him busy. Keep him in constant instability. So... They went in the middle of the night, killed some of uh, the people of the other party. Right. Came back, killed some of their own people. Instigation. Huh? They instigated a fight. When they both woke up for Fajr, they saw blood and bodies everywhere. They came out in, in a complete chaos, and they were started fighting in chaos. It was not one side initiated. It was the killers of Uthman that initiated that. And even it wasn't even a battle. It was like a skirmish. It was like... Right. Like a, a chaos, basically. And then it settled down very quickly. Do you think, uh, says Ibrahim Khan, there's a lot of fitna today because of lack of marriage? I believe so, yes. Uh, Muhammad Sunni Gurkani again. Um, do Malikis remember Karbala? Look, if, if it's going to make you Maliki, then yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay? 
because yeah, and if it's going to f- f- suit him on Ahlul Sunnah and firm him, then yes, we do remember Karbala all the time, every year, as a love of Sayyidina Al Hussein. Okay, every year, and we fast on the tenth, and then one day before and one day after, or one day after. Okay, and not only us, all of the Egyptian Sunnis, and the Pakistani Sunnis. Everybody and the Turkish Sunnis, and you go to any Ottoman mosque, they have Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, Ali, Hassan, Hussein. In every mosque, their names, all six names, in every mosque. All right, let's go. I have a question. If someone started practicing 20 years ago, do you have to make up Salah? Yes. Does MBF have conspiracy theories? He must have been talking about something, but. Uh, was Raf al Yadain practiced in Medina? According to Abdullah bin Omar's the hadith about him, then no. And according to the narrations that about the Prophet that he would make takbiratul ihram, then never raise his hands again. Okay. What is the ruling on wearing unisex clothes? Uh, there's nothing wrong about it as long as it's acceptable to the general ummah. That people don't like the pious Muslims don't find that it's odd. Okay. Um I was at a halal spot last night uh, in NYC. Yeah. And I, uh, I see, we don't have these things in the south where like they have these all gender bathrooms. And, like, and <laughs> you have that nonsense. In a halal spot, subhanAllah. They're usually like secluded. The only reason that those are good because you can make wudu there. It's a full bathroom for yourself. Sure. Yeah. You guys heard that Saudi wants to change the flag? They want to take La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah off the flag. For secularization purposes. They're claiming it's so that it doesn't get disrespected. Right? Now, I believe that, number one... By disrespecting Yeah, by disrespecting it. it. So, let's say... look. Let, this is how I would do it. If I had a country... I wish one day I had a country. Right? Uh, we would have... We would not put the name of Allah on the flag. But once it's there, right? I would establish an alternate flag. Every, for every occasion in which the flag flows high, I would use light. I would keep it, right? And then I would have an alternate flag for like postage stamps, for other things, right? For things that are lowly, you have to use the alternate flag. I mean, how many, how many jerseys and sports teams have? Why can't a country have an alternate flag, right? So put like stars there instead of Yeah, home team and away team. We would say an elevated flag and a common use flag, but they're headed. But they're they're in my opinion, Allah Adam. I don't I don't think they're doing it for the right reason. They're probably um, doing it for secularization purposes. But don't like some countries already uh, like I guess in the form of rebellion have that like then like Libya had that green flag at one point when Gaddafi was around. Yeah. And now they have the, the red, black, and green one, the crescent and the star. Yeah. And like I mean I'm sure that's. Not be, one of them is not being used, but yeah. something like... I guess yeah, you have multiple flags. What's wrong with that? I mean, what is up with these Arabs? They got, like, they divided up the Arabs into all these countries. It's as if they had one firm make all the flags for them, right? Egypt, red, yellow, black with an eagle. Iraq, red, yellow, black, two stars, right? Every flag, it's the same. They're all the same. It's as if, it's as if one, not only firm, one cheap firm. One firm that has no creativity department. <laughs> They're all the same. All right, let's see who else we got here. Um, 
what book says Ibrahim Khan to learn about Salahuddin al-Ayyubi I think that well there's a lot of biographies on him but I don't have one in particular P.H. Newby I like the book by P.H. Newby his name is the guy's name is P.H. Newby he's not a Muslim but he wrote a great book and it's a history book so uh, can you put a video for Salah Kamila and Darud Nariya? Yes, we can do that, but also you can also get it already right now at salawathub.com. The website for that is salawathub.com. Triple H says if a friend isn't committing a sin of the limbs, he's not committing a sin of the limbs, but you fear he has a sin of the heart like kibr or materialism, should I correct him? Yes. If someone's too excessively attached to something of the dunya, you can talk to him about that. Nothing wrong with that. Vantaview, how would you suggest I can go about with the switch from Hanafi to Madagi? Take the Arcview classes, sign up for Arcview Basic, and start watching the Ashmawiya courses with Sheikh Harun Saleh. Very simple answer to that. Matthew Gaming, I remember you saying the Jafari Madhab has no authentic Senate. That's 100% correct. Right, there's no senate for this. Okay, there's no senate for this. Is this does that mean there are no authentic books from him? I don't know about his books, but his fiqh does not. There's we don't, there's no authentic senate for his fiqh, that's for sure. Okay, it's not a method. Some say uh, Imam Zaid has more of a preserved more than the, the Zaydis, right? I've heard a lot of people say about the Zaydis that that. Uh, that they're anyway their madhab is the least Shi'i of all right uh, Ahmed means in other words their their expressions against the companions is a little bit more muted than the others how to get rid of poverty hide your sins on the day of judgment do, do much istighfar if you don't if you want your sins hidden and your poverty decreased do much istighfar okay wearing uh, we answered that did we miss anything, Ryan? We, I'm sure we missed something, but the the um, hacking of our attention has gotten really creative here with the amount of stars, exclamation points, emojis. Prince Matthew. Um, These names are awesome. The, the names of the groups, yeah. Uh, here's Nimra says Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah, he has a famous visionary course advise not to use please in your dua no we don't use please in the dua because please implies um, hardship it implies that like, so even the Prophet said we do not say inshallah in our language but if you are saying please as an expression of like in English as an expression of begging, that's not a problem. Right? An expression of begging. Because we are begging at Allah's door. And you will find that there is no sweeter time than when you're begging at the door of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So much so that you'll realize that this moment here is better than everything I'm asking for. Except that I'm a human being, I have a need, and I want that thing. Speaking of West Africa, when is the lecture on Osman Danfodio? We have to have that. There's no doubt about it. How could you leave him off? But we're going sort of in order. Summer Matic, Junaid al-Baghdadi. Didn't we do one? 
No. Okay, we have to do Junaid al-Baghdadi. Why do Ahl al-Bayt get the most fitna? Because Allah promised the Prophet he will purify them. Okay? So they have a lot of fitna. Armin S. Daffy Duck. For the question on cartoon aura, I meant the aura as in minor aura, female hair or ankles. Inshallah, But it's not really for a Muslim to watch cartoons. But let's say you're watching a cartoon with your kid and they've got, let's say, Rapunzel, right? Inshallah, I don't think that's... It's almost no different than um, watching your kid play with a mannequin toy, like a toy statue, whatever. Prince Matthew Gaming, what's the question? Don't start a trend of putting question one letter per message. Yeah. I see what he's saying here. I see what he's saying here. Dr. TV, can you help? Safina Society, can you help? I bought two books and I have not received it even after four months. What? Not acceptable at all. Someone's getting fired. Uh, please send us a message to info. At, oh, he said I sent it to shop. So we'll check the shop and we'll, we'll fix that solution for you. It may be something's wrong in the address. Must be something is wrong in the address that uh, the system can't read it. We'll fix that. All right. How many Ahadith Qudsi are there? I can't remember, to be honest with you. There's more than 40 for sure. All right, folks. We should stop here. Last check. How do I... Caitlin Joham says, how do I dispel the recurring thought that Allah may not accept my dua? That means that thought is only attracted by sins. So recite a lot of Quran and avoid sins because bad uh, sins attract bad thoughts. Sins attract negative thoughts. So avoid sins. Yes, let's, do, let's close with dua an-nur. All right. Thank you all very much and I hope I answered everyone's questions today. As much as possible, we answered uh, a lot of questions. Hopefully, we got most of the ones that you really wanted. And we'll close by reciting Dua An-Nur. We should do this every single time, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma ja'alli nooran fi qalbi wa nooran fi qabri wa nooran fi sam'i wa nooran fi basari wa nooran fi sha'ri wa nooran fi bashari ونورا في لحمي ونورا في دمي ونورا في عظامي ونورا في عصبي ونورا من بين يدي ونورا من خلفي ونورا عن يميني ونورا عن شمالي ونورا من فوقي ونورا من تحتي اللهم زدني نورا وأعطني نورا واجعلني نورا وصلى الله وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم How long are you staying, man?